hot, huh? All right. Hey, can we give it up for uh, Josiah and the team that, that decorated this place, that showed up and decked the halls? And, man, they did an incredible job. And so if you were a part of that, we appreciate you coming and serving and, and decorating. It, it's, it is awesome. It looks beautiful. And, and so my wife and I, Adrian, we had the, the honor of going back to Missouri this week and being with her family for the holiday and Thanksgiving. And, and we got to dress up. And I was thinking about putting pictures up, but I didn't, I didn't want you guys to laugh at me, to be honest. And so we didn't do that. But we did, you know, the pajama dressing up and all of that fun stuff. And anybody else do special PJs through the holidays for their family? Okay, we're the only weird ones here. Okay, there's four. There's four weird people, and they're all spread out. So um, anyways, that's, uh, that's always a fun time, you know, uh, just to, to be with family and kind of goof off and do the silly things. But, but I have a serious prayer request. Uh, it kind of came as birthed out of that situation and coming back home. I, we get back last night at 6 o'clock at night, and, and we get to the house, and we start unpacking. And, and I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on the scale just to see kind of what kind of damage I've done. Don't do that, by the way. Don't do that in this, in this holiday season. It'll mess your whole life up. And I had gained 12 pounds this week. 12 pounds. Thank you, somebody. Amen. That's, uh, I mean, that's a serious problem when you're gaining 12 pounds over Thanksgiving. I got at least 12 more to go through the Christmas, and so we're going to be in a lot of trouble anyways. Um, it's Advent time. Advent time. Advent. Uh, is there anybody that... Uh, that that maybe grew up and they didn't even know that word Advent, a couple of us. I, I talked to people th- this week and we're sitting with them and I'm like, do you even know what Advent is? And well, I've heard the word, but I, what does it even mean? What is, it, what is the purpose of it? And so Advent here, Advent means coming in Latin, okay? The, this is the coming of Jesus into the world and Christians, we use the four weeks of Advent to prepare for and remember the real meaning of Christmas. And so we have the four Sundays, these four weeks upcoming that, that we will be celebrating. And, and really the goal is to, to set our hearts and our posture for the right and real direction of Christmas. Because don't you know it's really easy to get caught in the commercialization of the, of the lights and the presents and the shopping and, the, and the, 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 all the PJs and the food and everything that's fun, it's exciting. But we also are in this like tug of war with, the, with like the world and the things they want us to celebrate and the, the things they say Christmas is about versus what we truly know what it's about. And so Advent is really about the preparation and like posturing of our hearts to have our minds and our hearts on the right thing through this season. And so it's all about preparation. About, it was about the, the coming of baby Jesus into the stable and to save a world and, and to, to give his life on the cross. But, but not only the sacrifice on the cross, but, the, but then it's the resurrection. And so we, we, we set our hearts on all of those things. All the things that Jesus brought us, we'll be celebrating those things over the next few weeks. But I don't know, even more important at this point is we celebrate his return. His, like expecting Jesus to return and, and to come get us and, and, and to bring us to be with him. And so these four Sundays are critical that we set the, the tone and the temperature for Christmas and this season. Those four Sundays, I'll be preaching on hope and then there's peace, joy, and there's love will be the last Sunday that we'll be preaching through the Advent uh, calendar and the, the season 
together. And I read this uh, funny story. I guess it's a story. It's used uh, at a lot of college, um, like speeches and graduations. And anyways, it's, uh, there's these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way. The older fish gnaws at them and, and says hello to them. And he says, how's the water? The two younger fish go on swimming and they go a little while and they stop and they pause and they look at each other and they say, what is water? You know, it's just a cute little story, but the truth of that story, the most obvious realities are often the ones that are hardest for us to see because it's the realities that are hidden in plain sight that we miss most often. You see, there's this tension on the inside of us as believers that, that we look around the world as it is and we see what's wrong, we see what's broken, and, and we miss the things that Jesus, that the Lord has given us that are so obvious to create hope inside of our lives. You see, inside of our spirits, there's this longing for eternity. There's this longing for something, for something ancient and deep and eternal that desires to connect to something greater than we can see with our physical eyes. And so, so often we're longing for those things and we miss the things that he's given us here. You see, even in that cute little story, it talks about that the most important realities are often the ones that are hidden in plain sight. The gifts that we've been given that are right around us, you and, and me and our friendship, our community here, our family, those are the things a lot of time that get put on the back burner as we're busy in our lives. You see, us, just like those fish a lot of times when they say, what is water? We really have to set our minds, we have to set our hearts on what is hope. You see, we have to define what our hope is. That way we have an answer to a lost world, to a, to a broken world, to, the, to well, how could things be this way? We have to have an answer as to what our hope is. And of course, we know that that is the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ to come get his bride. And that's the point of this season is that we are setting our minds on those things that our hope would be readily available to share with those people that through a season like this, those that are most hopeless, the ones that are most broken, for some reason, it highlights it the most in seasons like this. It brings those things to the surface that they can't stand that others are happy or celebrating in, a, in something that's so broken and, and, and empty. And a, how could the world be this way? Or why, if there's a God, how could I go through this? And those things tend to be at the top of the surface in a season like this. And so you and I, we have this opportunity to seize this season to speak about hope to those that are hopeless. And so it's this dual tension on the inside of us that, like the fish that don't even know what water is, we have to be Christians that know what our hope is. We have to be Christians that have readily available the, the celebration and the song, but also the meaning that, yes, we go through pain, we go through suffering, but I don't lose my hope. In our Advent devotionals, this is one of the quotes that's in there in the, the readings that we're doing. It says that we live in this space between the darkness of a world without Christ and the light of a world with Christ. It's this tension that you and I live in. 
that we live in this tension of, we live in this space between the darkness of the world, the way it is, without Christ. There's so many people that are without Christ in this world, but then we have Christ, that light that helps the dark world. And so in seasons like this in Advent, we really have to set our focus. And so if we had a focus today that Advent is a time for celebrating the hope that we have in Christ. You see, that hope's the only thing that gets you through hard times. That hope's the only thing that gets you through tough seasons. That hope is the only thing that we can hold on to because the, the hope does not promise that we will be absent from pain and suffering. In fact, the only thing hope does is says that I'll get you through it. And so learning to cling on to Jesus and, and to, to, to hold on to Jesus when, when you're going through seasons like Dr. Dan and Dana, when it's, when it's been back-to-back loss and hard seasons, that, that the example that they've shown us, that, that the first thing out of his mouth when I'm, I'm praying for you is like, the grave's empty, brother. That's what he tells me. Now, that's hope. That is a tangible hope that the world knows nothing about. And so when you can suffer and you can go through pain, but you're not absent of the hope that we have, that is what a lost world is craving. Something of substance, something of power, something that does not make sense in our educated, logical brains. That kind of hope doesn't register until you experience it. Amen? It goes on to talk about that, this lens and, and Pastor Kurt did such an incredible job talking about that lens with the binoculars and what we see through that. This lens of hope that we are to live, that we are to love, that we are to do life, that we are to grieve, that we are to, to mourn through this lens of hope. That no matter what you're going through, like we get stuck a lot of times kind of asking the wrong question. We ask God a lot of times, like, why could you let this happen to me? How could this happen if God is good? But, but he's really wanting to, he's wanting you to take on this lens and change your perspective. How can I see this through the lens of hope? It's not why did this happen, but how can I look at this situation? How can I look at this, the current, the, the current climate in our world, the, 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 the issues that we're going through? How can I look through those problems, that darkness, through the lens of hope? That's the tension that you and I believers that we live and exist in. And so that's the point of this Advent season is that we are setting our posture and are setting our lens on the correct things because you're going to have opportunity to speak to people probably that you don't spend most of the time with throughout the year. Maybe it's friends or maybe it's family or maybe it's in the checkout line or maybe it's at the grocery store or wherever it is, you're going to run into one of those people I was talking about that are hopeless, that are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and they've done everything they can to get rid of this pain and alleviate the pain and they can't find any solution to get rid of it. And it's gonna be some sort of cosmic divine connection that that you're gonna go to aisle six and change your mind and go to aisle three because it's even a little longer and you're not sure why you're doing it, but all of a sudden you're gonna spark up a conversation and you're gonna be like, you've lost two people this season and you're still this hopeful? You've gone through what? The grave's empty. I'm filled of hope because I know that Jesus died on the cross. He rose again, and I know that he's coming back to get his bride. 
And when you can speak with such power and hope in those divine moments this season, I believe that we truly can fulfill when Jesus says that we are to be the light of the world, that that's what he's talking about. That darkness has no chance when light shines on it. It has to flee. Darkness doesn't get a choice. When you expose darkness to light, it has to run. And so we are called to be the light of the world. Let's go into scripture together. Um, We're going to be going into Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 11 through 14. If you're going to follow along with me, grab your Bibles or your digital Bibles, or you're just going to read on the screen, that's fine as well. But uh, Romans chapter 13, um, uh, this letter is obviously written to the church in, in Rome and uh, the interesting thing about this, and we're going to unpack it together, you know, they were, they were very aware of pain and suffering in their time. And so this letter is being addressed to, to that church right then that, that sometimes we can get, you know, uh, caught off guard or we're like, how could this happen? Or we get surprised or we get caught up thinking of the wrong things with our perspective on the wrong stuff or, or even in this season, it's easy to get our focus on good things but they aren't the right things. It's easy to kind of get sucked up in the hype and the commercialization and the fun and exciting stuff, which those are good things, but sometimes it's not the right thing that you should be hyper-focused on. And so let's pick up in verse 11 together, and it says this, and do this, understanding the present time. Understanding the present time. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to, everybody say, wake up. Anybody sleeping in here? I've been known to call out an an, an eye drooper, you know, like one of these guys. I'm actually like, I'm listening, I'm praying the holy way. You know, (laughs) I've had a few. Not many, I'm so loud, it doesn't happen a lot. But when it does, I let them know. And it says, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. It's already come for you to wake up. You've already been exposed to the truth. You already know this church. You already understand what's at stake. You already comprehend the hope. This letter is written to a church that understands that it's already been time for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when it was when we first believed. And our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Everybody say, wake up. Say it like you're actually waking your kids up for the fourth time. Come on, moms, give me something. Wake up. Yeah, I've heard that a few times. Get out of bed! Wake up! You know, Mom, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. That's what, that's what I hear is happening right there. Wake up from your slum, slumber. You see... <laughs> I'm a nut, I'm sorry. What am I gonna do about it, guys? We should probably get counseling for my wife. I mean, I'm like this like (laughs) 24-7. And do this, understanding this present time. The present time. Probably one of the most pressing topics still. Us understanding what's really at stake and what's going on right now in the world that we live. Just as relevant then as it is now, it is, it's the most common question in any circle that I'm in. 
understanding what this present time, what is going on. It's the conversation of, of, of politics or, or, or racial recon, uh, reconciliation or, or, or poverty or, or wars. It's just like, how can this be happening in our world? Where is Jesus in all of this? In, in our Bible studies, in our Christian conversations, like we are caught up in this hyper fixation on what is going on around us. What is gonna happen? How could this be happening? We're, we're caught up not understanding this present time. You see, we get caught hyper fixating on the, on the wrong things and not through the lens of, well, how is this gonna lead to glory to God? How does this point to hope? How does this point to, own, the only answer we have is Jesus, a risen Jesus Christ that's coming back. That's the only answer that we have. And so he's reminding them to set their, set their temperature, to set their perspective that you have to understand this present time, that the hour has already come for you to wake up, that, that God is not surprised. He is not shocked by what's going on. He wasn't then and he isn't now. He's not caught off guard and nor should we be then knowing that things have to get worse before he comes back. Things don't just get better. All of these things don't just get ironed out and fixed until Jesus, that, that, the, the clouds part and the, the, the trumpet blows and Jesus returns and we're caught up as his bride. Like Things don't change until then. But it says that we have to understand that present time. That hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What does that mean? How can salvation be nearer now than when you first were saved and had salvation? Think, like process that through your head. What is it that he's explaining? He just told us to understand the present time and so he's pointing to how bad things are as they're on purposely, they're, they're on purpose they're this way, there's a reason that the present time is this way. And then he reminds us that salvation is nearer now than when you first were saved. Wait, there's a different kind of salvation? You see, what he is saying is that our hope is when Jesus returns, that is our complete salvation that you have to fix your gaze upon those things, that you have to wake up from your slumber and you have to look at everything in this present time through the lens of when our complete salvation comes is when Jesus brings us home. Like that's the hope that we have as believers. Are you guys with me? Three people. Hmm. Let's go to verse 12 together, please. Verse 12. Verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Think about the imagery happening here. The imagery, the night's almost over. The night is almost over. The day is almost here. Complete salvation, that, that our salvation is almost nearer when Jesus comes back to get us. The night is almost over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside. Everybody say, put aside. Put aside. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. the deeds of darkness, that this, this battle between my flesh and what I wanna do and when I wanna do it versus what the spirit wants me to do and when the spirit wants me to do it. That we are to put aside these, these deeds of darkness, that, that, that we have to actually 
put those things aside, that in verse 12 is telling us that to put aside the deeds of darkness and to put on the armor of light because we are going out into a dark world, that we are going to fake darkness, that face darkness, that we have to be able to have the light that's inside of us be stronger than the darkness that'll be on us or we're in trouble. It goes into a list here in verse 13, if you guys are following along. And so it says to put aside these deeds of darkness. And then it kind of gives us a, a list. It says, let us behave. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. You see, most of those, the carousing, the drunkenness, the sexual immorality, the debauchery, it all has to do with giving into the pleasure, the, the pleasure of life, the alcohol, the drugs, the, the sexual promiscuity, the, all the things that we give into our flesh. It's telling us that we have to put aside the deeds of the flesh. You see, I think sometimes in the, in the over-Christianese world, sometimes we hyper-spiritualize what it looks like to put a, to put a like, Lord, I'm praying that you just take this away from me, this, this desire, and, and we get up every day, and we, Lord, I'm praying for this, but you don't do anything about it. You see, that putting aside means that a literal picking up of this object, moving this object to the side of your life, and actually changing the route or the direction that you've been going, because if you do not change the direction you've been going, you're going to keep falling in the same pothole. It says that we have to put aside those things that we were doing when Jesus saved us, that we have to literally change those things, put those things aside, that, that we are not continuing to, to, to run around and behave as the world behaves. You see, I think for most of us, that verse 13 is, I'm like, check, doing good, check, doing good, you know, not carousing around. Who says that word anymore anyway? But uh, no, I don't, I'm not in drunkenness. I'm not in sexual immorality. I'm not in debauchery. Like, man, I'm doing good, but is it weird that in that same list, all of a sudden, dissension's there? You know, sometimes we get real funny with how sins look sometimes, but it's, I mean, those are in the same list together. I ain't cheating on my wife. Woo, praise God, doing good, babe. Like, but dissension? If that's not one of the greatest things that we're gonna face inside of the church, let's say it over this next two years probably, it'll be the greatest opportunity for the church to rise up and have a division among the world that's ever been possible. Or if we actually had a lens of hope and say, yes, our, our political uh, spectrum's falling apart and our leaders are whatever and this is a problem and our inflation and an economy and all these things and it's falling apart, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to pay my bills, but but I'm gonna look at it through the lens of hope that instead of engaging those conversations and having a divisive attitude, a divisive attitude or an argumentative point of view that, that I'm gonna look at it through the lens of hope that, that these things have to happen in order for my savior to come back and get his bride. <laughs> this is good news. You may get looked at like you're a little crazy, but it's true. What we believe is not necessarily logical but it's hope. And so when you look at that, it says to put aside these things, the, the dissension and the jealousy. That, that word dissension means strong disagreement, a contention, a quarrel, or discord. And then it goes to verse 14, tells us to put aside these things. And then in verse 14, it says, rather, everybody say, clothe yourselves. 
I mean, there's really no other way to split that than, you know, if I would have showed up today with basketball shorts on and just a, a tank top, I probably would have had some issues in here. Somebody would have came up and said, you should have clothed yourself differently, right? You should have taken a little bit of time to clothe yourself properly. Some people still might not like the way I wear skinny jeans and pumas on the stage. I don't know what to say about it, but the truth is, is I chose intentionally to clothe myself this way. You see, but as believers, you gotta remind us that it is our responsibility to clothe ourselves in this righteousness, to clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ, to actually as intentionally as you walk to your closet and you put on a black polo with light jeans and white shoes and a halfway up ankle socks and, and did my hair correctly this morning, as intentionally as I did those things, as a believer, I've got to get up and put on Jesus Christ the same way. It takes effort and energy. It takes, you know, you just can't sit there and go, I don't understand why I'm not changing. I don't understand why nothing's happening because you're not putting any effort in anything. Your Bible's got dust on it. You ain't, you know, you pick up terrible things to watch on TV and wonder why your mind's still thinking like the world. Man, you gotta put on Jesus Christ daily because you gotta be an armor of light. You gotta put these things on and be able to face a dark world because if you're not doing those things, you're gonna look like the dark world. Amen. Amen. Rather, clothe yourself, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Gratify the desires of the flesh. And see, in 1 Corinthians, there's three different virtues that it talks about. What are those three virtues? Thank you, babe. You read my notes. That's cheating. Somebody else that reads their Bible once a month. Come on. First Corinthians, faith. These three virtues, they talk about as like the, the hierarchy of like Christian virtue. Like there's these, these virtues, the greatest of all these, this love chapter. Every wedding in the world I've had to preach this at. I'm like, don't, no more of that, please. But then the greatest of these, it's faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, that there's these virtues that define us as believers. And C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escape, escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It's just another one of these biblical tensions. You know, Dr. Dan, Miss Dana, I didn't see you earlier when I was talking, but one of the greatest examples I've seen in my life is the way you guys have carried yourself through your tragedies recently. I think about you guys, I think about Miss Joy, and it's just, it has deposited something in my heart in your tragedy and loss of loved ones that you can't get in a textbook, at a seminary, you can't get online. The, the way that your hope has shined forth it has changed my character, the person that I am. And, it's, and I think that's what's happening here. It's just like this biblical tension that, that, that we live with our hope fixated on the, the world to come. That our reality, that we're going to be in eternity with Jesus. But that doesn't change that we can't leave the present world as it is. You can't so place in your mind, out of sight, out of mind, what's going on that I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back and save me out of this trash can. Anybody ever heard that line? Well, this trash can is his too. 
And so somehow we live in this biblical tension of being pulled back and forth of, uh, I'm not totally living and being in escapism. And the way that you guys have done that is like, yes, I, the grave is empty and I know my identity is secure, but, but you're also right here and right now and you're working on this world the way that it is and you're living in reality. And it's, I think that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. It doesn't mean that we have the ability to leave this world as it is, but it doesn't mean that we can't live with the reality of eternity on the horizon. And so we know that, that one of the things that I know about hope is hope is seen in transformation. You see, hope is seen in transformation to a lost and dying world and transformation of you and I. You see, when they see that, that people that look like them, that, that, that talk like them, or that live where they live, that they're continuing to be transformed, they have questions on how that's possible. You see, hope is, is discovered and hope is seen in transformation. And, and the best thing that we can offer this world is our transforming selves. That, that we can continue to be shaped into the image of Christ, that we can let ourselves continue to be molded into what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is what it says, and the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Makes us more and more like him here in this world as we are changed into his glorious image that, that this hope that we're talking about can be seen to a lost and dying and dark world through our personal transformations right in front of them. That there, this isn't an arrival, this isn't a, a one-stop shop, this isn't a, a prayer and you've made it there. This is a continuing to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ in the here and now in front of this lost, dark, and dying world that they see you and say, I want what you have. I want what you, like who you are, I want that. What is that hope? You see, the second thing that we see is hope is felt inside of community. That's why we love church. That's why we have such an incredible church. We do a great job of being together and doing community here. That hope is felt inside of community. From the very beginning of, the, of scripture, God has said it's not good for man to be alone. That you and I were meant to do community together. That we're meant to do life together. From the very beginning, it was one of those topics that he addressed that the design was never that we would do this journey alone. But there's a, there's a large problem inside of doing community right now. A recent study I was reading said that 35% of people admit to being chronically lonely. In 2004, the average American had eight to nine close friends. 2022, zero to one. 5% of people have a regular conversation with their neighbor. See, there's nothing worse than living a life surrounded by people but still feel lonely and isolated. You see, the hope that we talk about, you see, that hope is felt when we do community with people that are hopeless. 
when we pull in our neighbors into our lives, when we have conversations with those people that are outside of the church, when we pull people inside of communities, something happens in the emotional realm, in the feeling realm, inside of their heart. Holy Spirit begins tugging at their heart when they realize that something about your life is not the same as something about their life. And that opens up for them to ask you about what is the hope that you have. You see, um, we, we, we look at these things and, and and there's been like this kind of twist inside of our communities and, and this word tribalism, this, our tribes is kind of a popular thing right now. And, but the problem is, is when we, when we go to like, this, this is my tribe and tribalism, tribalism is more formed around what we mutually hate. Community is built around what we mutually love. And so there is like this tribalist mentality inside of the body of believers versus the world versus a red or a blue leader or a, a this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. We bond together with people a lot, a lot of times because we mutually hate the same things, not about what we mutually love. And so it is our, it's our responsibility as believers to, to do this kind of community together. In fact, in Mark 12, 31, it says the second is equally important. What's the first? Come on, talk back, church. Here we go. What's that first commandment? All your heart. And in Mark 12, 31, he says the second is equally important, that you love your neighbor as yourself. See, community is based on what we mutually love, not what we disagree upon. Probably those are the ones that are gonna be your close friends. That's fair. You know, sometimes the mutual interest is how we pick our friends or spouses or, but our community as believers, we have to have a front door policy, a front porch policy, as Pastor Kurt always says, of anybody's welcome on the porch with us. It's because we're called to love our neighbors and hope is felt when we have community like that. Here's some of the, the CDC has this study that I recently read and it's, it's kind of terrifying, but some of the health risk of loneliness, social isolation significantly increases a person's risk of premature death from all causes, a risk that may rival those of smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. Poor social relationships characterized by social isolation or loneliness was associated with a 29% increased risk of heart disease and a 32% increased risk of stroke. Loneliness was associated with higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. And this professor of psychology over at Brigham, uh, Brigham Young University concluded that loneliness is as harmful to physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Everybody can stand on their feet. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. And To have deep, meaningful relationships with others is a reflection of a deep, meaningful relationship with our creator. This Advent season, this holiday season, what if you made it a goal? What if you made it a goal to find one person that was lonely and hopeless and bring them into your community? One of your neighbors that only 5% of us talk to. It's pretty true. I, I don't even know if I know one of my neighbor's names at my apartment across the street here. I don't know. I'd have to really think about it to be honest with you. 
So this isn't a you problem, this is an us problem. The body of believers, it's a problem. What if this season, like, we just took the time to find one person that was hopeless, that was lonely, isolated, just brought them into your community of hope. Just slow down enough to have a front porch that's inviting enough to have a conversation even. See, hope, hope is found in mercy. Psalms 51, one and two. You see, we give people mercy because we've been given so much. Have mercy on me, oh God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. We've been given so much. And I look around this room and we've been given so much, so much, entrusted with so much. You know, somebody asked me, how you doing? Man, a lot better than I should be. A lot better than I should be. But I'm sure it's just me. Man, but sometimes I just get stuck complaining about anything I can find to complain about. And I don't meditate and focus on hope. That all my hope, it's in Jesus. And this is an intentional pause button today. It's here. Christmas is here. We can't push it back. I tried. It didn't work. But if you're here today and you need to set that that focus on the hope of Jesus Christ, I want you to just take that few minutes. They're going to bring the house lights down for me. I want you to bow your head for me. I want you to think about this. Are you in a position and place in your life personally that you need to set that perspective on hope right now? Maybe you've allowed yourself to be hypercritical like me. This season, for whatever reason, I've just been overwhelmed and hypercritical of the, the silliest things. Perspective's been off. Maybe you've had tragedy or trials or struggles going on, and you need to set your perspective on hope this morning. We have a few moments we're going to worship together, and we believe these altars are a great place to, to kneel and have a conversation with God and, and set that perspective. You can do that at your seat, worshiping with your hands in the air, or sitting down, or kneeling on the ground, but I believe that this is an intentional time for us to pause and just set our perspective on that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I ask that you just do what only you can do as these altars are open, as we have just a little bit more worship before we close the service today. Father, I ask that you just begin speaking to the hearts, the minds of my brothers and sisters that are here. In the name of Jesus, let's worship together.